live from the capital of the Commonwealth, this is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. So, look, this is a tough one today. Robert Ole producing this afternoon, and I were just chatting in between Doug Brown's stories on the ESPN Sports Center update. What's our lead this afternoon? We have no commander's practice today. Today is a day off for the players for commander's practice. We have no Braves baseball tonight. They are off this evening. And look, they won again last night. So what? I'm not sure that's a lead at this point as much as they win. Um, So look, is the uh, release of the NBA schedule that we've all been waiting for with bated breath our lead story this afternoon? I don't know, but the NBA finally got around to releasing its schedule. It should come as no great surprise amongst the teams that are Almost ignored entirely when it comes to uh, network television for the NBA this year, the Washington Wizards. They are one of nine teams with only one nationally televised game this season. You can probably guess most of the rest of them, but here they are in no particular order. The Bulls, the Pacers, the Magic, the Raptors, the Wiz. The Pistons, the Hornets, the Trailblazers, and the Rockets have just one nationally televised NBA game this season. It tips off in Denver, as it should, with the defending champion Nuggets. And then they play the Lakers. So that's a pretty good opening night game um, as they open defense of their NBA championship. And we can dissect a few more of the teams and their games um, as we move along this afternoon. I'm not sure that's really a totally lead story either. We did talk about earlier in the week when they released just the tip of the iceberg, the Christmas Day games and the opening night games, which we had mentioned. It included uh, Miami and Boston on a playoff rematch on that Friday night, the 27th. Um, Warriors and Sacramento will play uh, their first game on that Friday night also. And they have a full slate of Christmas Day games. Um, five games, ABC or ESPN. You got Bucks and Knicks. That tips it off at noon. Golden State-Denver, that, that might be the marquee game, but it's in the middle of the afternoon on Christmas. I guess on Christmas, that's probably pretty marquee time. People are done open in the presence you probably had that early big meal you're ready to settle in uh boston and la that's a traditional classic game and then prime time listen up robert Ole. it's the sixers and the heat on christmas night at eight o'clock so you be in front of the tv for that one and then dallas and phoenix uh finish it up on on uh, christmas day and christmas night all right uh just go to espn.com or nba.com and you can see the schedule for your favorite nba team as they got the uh the schedule out today i'm just kind of scrolling through it to see what else catches my attention martin luther king day that's always an interesting one 
Um, Monday day basketball, NBA basketball, Houston at Philly at 1 o'clock, San Antonio, Atlanta at 3.30, Warriors, Memphis at 6, Oak City and the Lakers at 10.30. And then, of course, you've got the in-season tournament to deal with in there as well, and we'll get into all of that as we move along. So the NBA schedule, if you happen to count up the games for your team, it's only 80. Instead of 82, the remaining two games will be decided by how that in-season tournament plays out. Uh, So there you go. NBA schedule is out today. And I hate to say that's the way we tip off our sports huddle on a Thursday afternoon. It's kind of ironic today because as I was bemoaning to Robert, no real headline-grabbing lead today. Um, But we'd have some really good guests coming up today to talk about topics that we have been focused in on pretty much all week and maybe even for a little bit longer than that. So we'll we'll get into those for you here in in a few minutes when we get to the River City Rundown. 804-327-0888 gets you on the air with us. 804-327-0888. It is also our text line. 327 0888. One of our guests is Commanders related coming up in a little bit, but I would throw this nugget out there. And I brought it up a little bit um, yesterday or the day before with with one of our uh, NFL or Commanders guests. I don't remember if that was Dave Preston yesterday or Rob Motti from AP on Tuesday. And we don't talk sponsors a whole lot. But I think there's a bigger picture at work here. I guess it was Tuesday the commanders announced that Verizon was back as one of their major corporate partners. And today the dominoes continue to fall. Anheuser-Busch is back with the Washington commanders. So that's two pretty big sponsorship announcements in the past week. And, again, we don't get into that too much. We don't get any royalties. We don't get any kickbacks out of mentioning any of their corporate partners. But I do think it's a bigger picture item. Remember, Anheuser-Busch, you know, cut ties with the commanders last March, had just about everything to do with Dan Snyder, and it was a pretty big financial hit. It was about a $3 million deal. You know, they never came out and said – hey, the reason we're dropping the commanders is Dan Snyder. It could have been all the losing that they were doing. But I think today you kind of prove a point. They haven't done a whole lot more winning yet, and yet Anheuser-Busch is jumping back on board. Um, And I'm sure that has everything to do with Snyder being out and Josh Harris being in as it does with anything else. And they're the biggest beer sponsor in the NFL, and it really looked bad that the Commanders were one of only a handful of teams that didn't have any sponsorship with Anheuser-Busch. I think the number um, is 26 NFL teams have corporate partnerships with Anheuser-Busch. So it just didn't look good, but now it's back. And again, I think you're, you're seeing these business deals and negotiations happening fairly quickly under new ownership before they ever lose a game. They're inking these corporate partners, and that's probably a good thing. And the end of kind of my comments on this, at least for now, and John Keim actually did write about that on ESPN.com, and he is coming up later. Um, Spoiler alert. I'll mention that in, in just a couple of minutes. But I do think what it's really doing, what it's really a precursor for, 
is the ability of Harris and group to have meaningful talks and negotiations in Virginia and in Maryland and in the District of Columbia about where they might potentially build a new stadium for the Washington Commanders. And I think those are the people, those are the entities that you've got to get to the table. But now you have an opportunity to say, look, some of our major corporate partners are coming back to us. We need you to come back to us now. And we've already seen it. Both the the governors of Maryland and Virginia have been to training camp already this year. That was not happening the last several years of Dan Snyder's regime in D.C. And I am sure the D.C. City Council and the D.C. Mayor will at least have conversations now with the Harris Group about potentially bringing the stadium back to the RFK Stadium site. As I mentioned, I guess a week or so ago, it's lukewarm on that city council. But if they will at least entertain conversation and negotiation, you might be able to change some opinions there. Because I think in a perfect world, that's probably where the Commander Stadium should go. As much as I'd like to see it in Virginia, I really would. I would love to see the stadium in Virginia. Their headquarters are here already. Uh, Let the Commonwealth reap some benefits. Might it cost some money at the outset? Yes. But if you do it right and you put it in the right place, uh, it could be a bell cow. You You could make a decent amount of change off of the stadium, especially if you can use it for other events beyond just the eight or nine, ten, including the preseason, maybe postseason, games that the commanders will play. So I think that's all really good news for Washington, especially on a day off. They had two very good days of joint practices with the Ravens. They get a day off today. Um, their business side is is very much at work with these deals with Verizon and Anheuser-Busch, and they get back on the practice field tomorrow, and they prep for their Monday night encounter on ESPN with the Ravens at FedEx Field in preseason game two. I imagine Sam Howell will get some time. I imagine at some point he'll be anointed officially, publicly, as the number one quarterback for the commanders. So it's been a pretty good week up to this point for Washington, and we'll see if they can finish it off with practices over the weekend and the game Monday night against the Ravens. And as I always love to mention, especially somewhat tongue-in-cheek, it's time for somebody to end the Ravens Now, 24-game preseason winning streak. The Eagles couldn't do it last week. Nick Sariani tried. Instead of kicking the PAT to tie the game late, he said, let's just go for two. Let's try and win it and end this winning streak. And they missed the two-point conversion. So it's 24 in a row in the preseason, the weirdest streak in all of sports for the Baltimore Ravens. All right, I mentioned we had some good guests coming up. Let me prove that to you by telling you who they are and get you updated on where we're headed on the Thursday Sports Huddle as we get you set for the next couple of hours up until 6 o'clock tonight. Here's what's coming up on today's Sports Huddle. Just a huge fan of the sports. This is the River City Rundown. River City Rundown brought to you by the Richmond chapter of the American Red Cross. During these hot summer months, donating blood and volunteering is crucial to the success of the Red Cross. To learn how you can help, visit redcross.org. All right, I already teased it. Let me officially mention that John Kime from ESPN covers the Commanders. Even on a day off, he is working today, and he's going to spend some time with us at the bottom of the hour at 4.30. Not a day off for John. As I mentioned, he already wrote the corporate partnership story. He's going to be on the air with us. You hear his uh, John Kime podcast on Sunday mornings here on 106.1 ESPN, and I'm sure he's sifting through all of his notes 
from the past couple of days of the joint practices and putting out some good material and information uh, on ASPN.com and on his podcast as well about those practice sessions and then kind of a preview of the preseason game on Monday night. So John's up with us uh, here in about 15 minutes or so at 4.30. Top of the hour at 5 o'clock, we'll talk some Braves baseball. They are also off uh, tonight after just sweeping the Yankees, dumping them right into last place. First time all year they have been under 500, and they got shut out in back-to-back games. And I absolutely do not say that in a gloating way. I am not a huge Yankee fan, but you know, guys and gals, I am a huge Sean Casey fan, the University of Richmond Spider Hall of Famer, who's trying to turn that Yankee offense around, and it is just not a quick fix. And they have been shut out in back-to-back games now, by the Atlanta Braves. It is a tough go for the pinstripers, but certainly not for the Braves, who can enjoy their day off today as they roll through the National League East now with a 12-and-a-half game lead on Philadelphia. The Braves are 78-42. and They will open an intriguing series this weekend, should get their attention, with the San Francisco Giants with Gabe Kapler's team, who is heading to Atlanta and then Philadelphia. These are huge games for the Giants and for the Phillies next week. Not so much for the Braves as they kind of coast towards the sixth straight division championship. But an intriguing series nonetheless. It will get the Braves' attention. Not that they haven't been focused all year. They certainly have. But San Francisco needs these games. They're not going to win the West. The Dodgers have almost as big a lead as Atlanta. Dodgers have won, what, 10 in a row, and they're up 10. But the Giants are the second wild card team now, two games behind Philadelphia, and a game and a half of a cushion to stay amongst those three teams for the wild card. So big games for them. Wiley Ballard from the Braves Radio Network and their leadoff man pregame show is going to join us at 5 o'clock, and we'll talk some Braves baseball. And I'm certainly going to ask him again, as I asked Bob Nightingale from USA Today the other day, how do the Braves do this? With some of these, and I don't mean a disrespect to them, no-name guys that just come in and make a name for themselves with the Atlanta Braves and help them win games. Nicky Lopez is the one that really comes to mind right now. He's played in six games for Atlanta, and he's 7 for 17. And he's knocked in eight runs already. And he pitched a scoreless inning in that 21-3 blowout win of the Mets. Like, where does he – well, I know he came from Kansas City, but how does that happen? Um, or the Winans guy who pitched the other day in that 21-3 game. Uh, when they called him up because it was a day-night doubleheader and they are allowed to add a guy to the roster, and they called him up, and sure enough, he got the win. He's pitched twice for Atlanta, and he's 1-0 with a 1.59 ERA. That's the way you do it. They've got things rolling down there in the Peachtree State in Atlanta. Wiley Ballard joins us at 5 o'clock, right after the top of the hour, Sports Center update. We'll talk some Braves baseball. And at 5.30, yesterday we talked Virginia Tech. Today we talked Virginia. Jerry Radcliffe joins us from jerryradcliffe.com. Uh, has been covering the Cavaliers for newspaper and now for website for many, many, many years. Uh, Hall of Fame sports writer. I went to the front page of jerryradcliffe.com today to check out on Virginia's coverage. And I got enough questions for him just from the stories he's got, just the headlines he's got on his front page. He does a great job of covering the Cavaliers and will do a great job of talking with us about it. Jerry Ratcliffe at 530. 
this afternoon. Talk to me if you'd like. 804-327-0888 on the Thursday Sports Huddle, which continues after a timeout on 1061 ESPN. In just three Saturdays, the Spiders return home when UR opens their 2023 season at Robin Stadium versus Morgan State at 6 p.m. Don't miss any of the action on your home for Spider Athletics all season. 1061 ESPN Richmond. For some, it's the lucky. You know one of those things that I love to do, especially when there's not a whole lot else in headline mode today. There's plenty of things going on in the sports world for sure. NFL camps, preseason practice for the colleges and the high schools. Uh, Major League Baseball schedule is going. NBA schedule came out tonight. So there's plenty of there are plenty of things. But on a Thursday afternoon, there's always some day baseball because it is a getaway day for a lot of teams, and they'd like to get them out there and get them on their way. And that, you know, that's one of the things. This this kind of had a big, big grand entrance last year when Peacock did this, and they did these Sunday, like almost baseball brunch kind of games, and they did 1130 on the air and noon game. Uh, and they're doing it again this year with, with – probably much less fanfare i would say i really haven't seen a whole lot about it It hasn't really moved the needle one way or the other if i happen to think about it i'll tune it in because for whatever reason i still get peacock i'm not sure why to be honest with you i probably should just shut up and not say anything um but i thought uh, comcast was making peacock uh, xfinity whatever it's called that you had to pay for it now and i've checked my bill and it hasn't been snuck on there, and yet I can still get Peacock. So anyway, I'll watch a little bit on a Sunday at noon. But i got to believe the teams love that game, uh, particularly the visiting teams, because normally on a Sunday you're finishing up and you're going home, which is even better. And they will get a much quicker start to get out of there. You play that noon game, it's done by about 2.30 or so. You're probably, you're probably wheels up by about 4.30 or so. In the afternoon, you're home by dinner time. So they probably love that. And the crowds that I've seen for those games have been pretty good. It's an early start to the day, but it's not the worst thing in the world when they finish up by mid-afternoon on a Sunday. So I think they got a few more of those if you want to check them out on a Sunday. Anyway, today's not much of a baseball schedule at all today. Uh, two games this afternoon. The Royals lead the Mariners 4-2, to two, top half of inning number eight there. That would be a bad loss um, for a Seattle team that's still trying to find its way into the postseason, they are below the line right now by a game in the in the wild card, and they are significantly behind Texas in the West. But Tampa Bay, Houston, and Toronto are the top three teams in the wild card, and then the Mariners are a game back. So losing a game to the lowly Royals uh, would not bode well for them today. Four-two, Kansas City leads that game, top eight, and then the Nationals are playing. This afternoon uh, against the Red Sox again, and that game is scoreless in the bottom of the second. Patrick Corbin pitching for Washington today, and Chris Sale on the mound um, for the Boston Red Sox. And uh, the Nationals uh, last night uh, defeated the Red Sox by a count of 6-2. to two. So they continue to play good baseball, and you know the Red Sox are mired down there towards the bottom of the uh, AL East anyway. And I wanted to bring up one thing with with the Red Sox, and far be it from me, I don't want to go through all of these, 
But for whatever reason, I found myself catching some Red Sox games recently this year. And I talked with our guy, Scott Hawthorne, our, our sports sales guy, and he's a huge Red Sox fan. In fact, we were out at RFMP Park on Monday uh, for the Babe Ruth World Series. And I'm like, Scott, what's up with the Red Sox wearing these darn City Connect jerseys? It seems like every time I tune into the game, like – they're, they're not the best-looking uniforms anyway with the yellow and the blue and all of that. And I get it. These City Connect uniforms are supposed to be, you know, really different. Like, Baltimore's are basically all black with some white writing. Um, uh, Chicago, I, I think, are kind of cool, actually, with Wrigleyville across the front. I kind of like that. San Diego has all those uh, pastel-like colors. I actually kind of like theirs. The Braves went to that old-fashioned look with the A. Uh, I actually definitely like that one. It's funny I say that because I, I, I'll admit this. I, at the moment, Caesar, hang on, I'm coming to you. Um, I'm scrolling through Sports Illustrated's list of all the City Connect teams uh, that had – or all the teams that had City Connect uniforms this year, and they ranked them. I think there were 20 of them that had them this season. And the couple that I just pointed out, I actually liked and would have put higher. They've got Boston like six on their on the city connect uh uniforms and the nationals at number three now washington's had theirs out for a while um they, the wsh with the cherry blossom on the front and i do like that one I, I think that one is really cool uh so anyway uh give it up boston you don't need to wear those uniforms anymore this year and they're not wearing them today they're in their more traditional blue tops with the boston text across the front uh caesar we got about a minute or so uh I'll let you jump on if you want to call back a little bit later this afternoon because i'm shortchanging you because i rambled there but let's get our I'll conversation call started I'll call back later. all right just want to call back later I'll that's fine later. Do that. I appreciate it. Thank you, Caesar. That's how you can tell a seasoned caller and listener on this show. And a guy who's actually got a little bit of time today, so that's good. Um, so Caesar will call back later, and we'll give him the full amount of time uh, for whatever it is that he wants to talk about today. I'm, well, I imagine it's his Miami Hurricanes in some way, shape, or form. So so call back a little later because we've got a guest coming up here at 4.30, but we've still got some open segments at you know 4.45 up to the ESPN Sports Center update. And after Wiley Ballard from the Braves Radio Network at 5, we'll have some time before 5.30 and then uh, before we get you up to 6 o'clock. All right, Let's get the break in here so we stay right on time. We are going to talk some Commanders football with a day off today after the joint practices the last two days with the Ravens, and then they'll be back at it Friday over the weekend and get ready for the game on Monday night at FedEx. John Kime, ESPN, ESPN.com, the John Kime Report, joins us next on the Sports Huddle. Divisional race in the NL East. But hey, just ask the Mets how that worked out for them last year. The Braves still have plenty of work to do, and you can hear every broadcast here on your exclusive home for the Atlanta Braves. 1061 ESPN Richmond. Right on time, right at the bottom of the hour, 430 on a Thursday afternoon sports huddle. 1061 ESPN. Home of the John Kime Report podcast on Sunday mornings. And you can catch it everywhere you get your podcasts as well. And you can also catch John regularly with us here on the Sports Huddle. And this is one of those times he joins us on what is otherwise a day off for the Washington Commanders, but not for our guy. John is hard at work again this afternoon and spending some of that time with us. Hello, John. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? 
I'm doing fine, thanks. Hope you get a chance to catch your breath a little bit today. I know you've been yeah. churning out information because we've been talking about it in the first half hour or so. you got these joint practices in the books now, John. Yeah. A couple days of it behind us. Where do you think that was of most value? We all think these are valuable to the teams that, that do them. Where do you think these two days were most valuable for the commanders? So I think for the offense, it was very valuable. <clears throat> and it was another way, it's another chance to evaluate Sam Howell, the offensive line, you know, it's it, it, defensively. I mean, they know what they have in their defensive line. They really like their secondary. They, I think, there's some. You know, they have to get better play at linebacker, but I think they have a better feel for where they're at there because it's the same group largely since last year and in the same system, et cetera. But because the offense is so new under new coordinator at Bianami, new quarterback Sam Howell, revamped offensive line. There's just more to learn there. So I think. Like that's where I would start with them, and I think Sam Howell did a nice job up there. It wasn't, I mean, never perfect, and it's it's hard to sit here and say, oh, he was great or he's this or that. He had he had a lot of good plays, and there were some plays where you say, okay, this is the learning curve. This is an experience thing. Sometimes the timing on some of the red zone throws, more about like there it is, trust it, throw it, right? And so there's some of that. Um, for him, but I think there are a lot of good plays where he handled situations well. Um, they like his presence in the huddle. You saw more of that, I think, because there were some of those fights up there, and they felt like he was a calming voice for some of the guys in the huddle after all that stuff. So I think that was a good thing for him, uh, without a doubt. And then, you know, the line, I'd say it was kind of mixed. That's what it's been, and I think that's what we're going to get. So that, but I think with Howell, I think you're able to learn. Maybe I don't even know if it's so much learning as maybe confirming what they hope to see from him. How about the skilled guys around him, John? Either behind him in the backfield or <clears throat> the wideouts, uh, impressions there, and anybody that particularly stood out. I think he and Terry McLaurin are developing a nice connection, mm-hmm. so that's been good for them. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, a couple of guys that would stand. I think. I think the rookie running back, Chris Rodriguez, looked pretty good when he was in there. Now, sometimes you have to remember, like they're not like some of those guys are not going always against the starters, right? But I think Chris Rodriguez has had a nice camp. I think he'll be able to help them. Um, so, like I thought, he did all right in terms of skill. But you have to look at like Jahan Dotson. I think Curtis Samuel was doing a nice job. So those guys, I felt like, did what you would think they should do. Um, the Ravens are not as deep at corner, but I think that's also a good group of receivers. And the, you know what? Some of the things that I like when you go up against in these joint practices is that you're spending a couple of days against players that you may know, maybe you played against them, but it's different than going up against, like for Terry McLaurin, going up against a Kendall Fuller every day or Terry, or Emmanuel Forbes. So now you're going to give it to, uh, he was going to up against a different style corner in at least on the first day in um, Humphrey for Baltimore. And so he's different. You know, he's a little bit more handy, a little bit more physical. But you've got to adjust on the fly. You've got to adjust that day. And I think it helps you for a lot of players because you're facing someone different, a different style that forces you to adapt to how do I handle this style. And you saw that with McLaurin against Marlon Humphrey on Tuesday, a couple routes where he's like, you know, Terry was talking, oh, he's physical, he's physical. And so how do you adjust? Well, he did. And like that's the kind of stuff you want that you like to see how the practice you know helps them, and that was one way too. So, but those guys are good. You know, I think they miss Logan Thomas. I think they need him in there. There's no doubt. 
I think Cole Turner is fine, but he's not Logan Thomas. Hmm. Um, and Thomas just presents such a big target for them. He's been sitting out with a calf injury, but they're going to need him to be productive this year. So, um, you know, I think, but the skill guys are good. I think that's a good group for them. Is there a timetable on Logan Thomas, John, that you know of? Don't know yet. And he just keeps saying abundance of caution, keeping him out. Hmm. And right. um, that's so right now we're in the abundance of caution phase. Um, and they don't have to tell us anything really about injuries, and they're not. They just say he's got a calf. And the one positive step for him is that he was out there the other day working on a, on a side field, just kind of you know light work. But that's the first time we've seen him do that, and it was a step for him. So the goal for him: be ready for the season. Mm-hmm. I don't know when he'll come back. You know, he's not going to play in the preseason game against against the Baltimore on Monday. And they're not going to play him in the third preseason game, so he really just be ready for the season. Make sure the guy's guy's ready, and you know that. So, so that's the best I could say. Is that's what we know right now. How much did the Commanders' defense go up against Lamar <clears throat> Jackson, and what did you see from him and their skill guys? Yeah, and that one was so. Yes, they went up against him a lot, and you know because here's. So I'll set the scene for you guys a little bit, and it's, it makes it hard to always get a great feel for everything that was going on. So they have two fields, and the things are going simultaneously, and you can't see everything. So I say that because I spent a lot of time watching the offense, wanting to see where are they at, how do they look. Is this, could, this, could Sam Howell be X guy, right? Can he be that guy? And I think he had a good camp. That's why I you know, I feel more comfortable talking about him because I watched him a lot. The defense, I was I was able to watch them, just not as much. So, you know, when when you're facing Lamar, too, one thing what we already know about Lamar is he can run. So, in practices, one thing I give him a lot of credit for is he doesn't run a lot in practice because he doesn't need to. He knows he can. The whole thing for him is throwing the ball. And so, the one day it looked like um, Washington defense did did pretty well I but then a lot of times yesterday when I was looking up I'd see there's a deep ball there's like Emmanuel Forbes I think again I go back to how is this beneficial so I go back to Emmanuel Forbes facing a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. a bigger physical target and having to learn how to play I mean you're facing a really good quarterback and then a guy who's been a very good receiver in this league um, and I think they have a deep receiving core, which is good for him. So he has to learn that he can't always play off a guy the same way he did in college, trying to bait a guy into a throw because these guys have the arms that are going to get you in there and they can throw deep. You saw the recovery speed, the length helped him. Um, I think in some of the in, – in, so, so I don't have as great a report on the defense as much as – you know. and I think part of it too is, again, we know what they're going to be. And if you're not going to see Lamar run – then it's really hard to get a great feel for it. But I'd say it was, I say they, I think this team in general held its own. Well, then let me go back to the offense for one more on the joint practice, and then we'll move on a little bit. Operationally, what did you see from the offense with, you know, Eric Bieniemy in charge with his loud voice out there, with his players adjusting to all of that? Yeah. I mean, I think they've been adjusting to that, and I don't see that as a huge issue for them. To me, like the the demands that he puts on them, you need to see results. They need to know that this guy, once the season begins, is putting them in the right spots, et cetera. If he's doing that, 
then it's going to, you know, yeah, it's going to sometimes chafe a guy. Um, but, you know, if you get results, nobody can argue. And, but anyway, but as far as that right now, it's not an issue, not an issue right now. Fair enough. As far Fair as enough. the operation, right, as far as the operation goes, they did have some false starts up there. There was one sequence where they had like a false start followed by, I think it was a tackle for a loss, followed by a sack. Mm. Um, so there were some of those, you know, Baltimore has a, has a good defense. Yeah. But, so there were some of those. But, I, but what, I, what I would say that has worked well for them is they get to the line of scrimmage with good time left on the clock to see things. So, the, you know, if, if you're getting up there late, the play's not getting in in time, that's a deeper issue. We ha- I haven't seen a lot of that this summer, you know. So I think it's I think in that aspect it's been pretty good, considering it's new and you have a young quarterback. But that's something that Biennemi really stresses, like them getting up to the line, getting out of the huddle, get up to the line so you can give him a little bit more time to read at the line of scrimmage, and then and maybe do some different, you know, maybe you know if you have to change a call or whatever it is. So that has been pretty good. But yeah, there were there were hiccups. There were some. You know penalties and stuff, but again, that's a good defense they're facing. And then mm-hmm. I think one thing they liked too is that there was they kind of felt that the Ravens did a little bit more in terms of showing things defensively that where they whereas they were maybe a little bit more vanilla on some stuff during some blitz set periods. They liked how Howell handled those situations. And so, but again, I think overall, like you know, for people worried about the offense, they didn't. They held their own, and that's a, that's a good sign for them. So we'll see where it goes. Absolutely. Well, it goes to Monday night's preseason game now against the Ravens. So what's next for the Commanders, John? We mentioned off today. What will the weekend look like? And uh, who are you expecting to play or not play on Monday night? So back tomorrow, Friday, I would I would guess it's going to be a lighter workout since they went in pads Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then I would expect them to be back in pads Saturday, day off Sunday, game Monday. As far as who's going to go or not go, you know, again, Logan Thomas, don't think so. The one I'm going to wonder about is Sadiq Charles. He missed Mm -hmm. some time. He missed the first preseason game with the calf injury and then was back this week but then had to leave practice early on Wednesday because of that calf injury, competing for the left, left guard spot. They, the coaches like him. He just got to stay healthy. So you know he would be one, and again Logan Thomas would be the other. Oh, the other two to watch: Fedarian Mathis, defensive tackle. We saw him in a boot on it. He had a boot on his left leg, up to his knee. He has a calf injury. Not a good sign for him. But I don't know. You know that it's a protective boot, so it's not like I don't know what that means as far as his status. I would be surprised if he played Monday, but as far as his status beyond that. And then Chase Young did not practice in the um, team drills on Tuesday and Wednesday, had a stinger in his neck in the Browns game, did individual work, was dressed out, had his helmet, et cetera, but did not participate in the contact stuff. So I don't know about his status, and we'll we'll learn more about that on Friday um, and then see. But, you know, another guy they need to get back out there. All right, last one for John Keim, ESPN, ESPN.com, John Keim Report. And I mentioned this earlier, John, uh, we don't talk about this very much when we talk NFL teams, and you guys and gals don't write a whole lot about it. But another corporate partner came back to the commanders today. Earlier in the week it was Verizon. Uh, Now it's Anheuser-Busch. Big picture for Josh Harris and his group and where they hope to get on the business side. How impactful were those two announcements this week? Well, most 
reporters don't have to write about that stuff. We, we've written more about that than I'd probably like to. So, okay. just, so as a refresher for people, last March, March 2022, Anheuser-Busch announced that they were pulling out from the team, no longer sponsoring, long-time sponsor. Now, they never came out and publicly said that this is because of Dan Snyder, it's because of the investigation. But people with the team, that was their understanding. Like, that's what they believe is the reason why they pulled out. And it's a pretty easy one plus one equals two here. Now, they did pull out from other teams. But my understanding is, like, the way at least certain people here understand is that they wanted to, they wanted to reduce some of their sponsorships, and this was an easy one because of all the stuff going on. Well, lo and behold, Josh Harris comes in. July 20th, he, he, gets, he gets the gig, um, and then now, less than a month later, guess who's back? I wonder if there's a connection. So that's a big deal for them. That, they, that was worth about $3 million per year the last time they had them, and I can't imagine it would be any less now. So that's, that's, a, that's one of the things that I, I talked to Jason Wright in the, in the spring at the owners' meetings in March, and this holds true. And, and one of the things he said, not just to me, but to others, like, they really felt like once this went through, that sweet, a lot of sweets would be easier. Sweets would be easier to sell, and I think that's definitely held true. And mm-hmm. that others would come back because they feel like they could be part of this again. And we've seen that this week. So Verizon was a new one. Budweiser coming back to me is a big deal, and I don't think it's going to be the last one. And I think they've got momentum because people are not afraid to be associated with this franchise once again. And- and that includes the governor of Virginia and the governor of Maryland, and those talks obviously will escalate. Oh yeah, that's a whole stadium, other right? segment, man. Yep, yep, yes. yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. Next time, next time we get you on. For now, we can say that we had this conversation on Verizon, and it's almost five o'clock, and you can go have an Anheuser Busch. And, you, and, and, <laughs> and enjoy your weekend. All right, John. Thank thanks. Uh, we'll catch up with you next week or in the next couple of weeks as preseason comes to a close. Thank you. All right, there goes John Kime, and you can hear his John Kime report here on Sunday morning on 1061 ESPN, and follow him on ESPN and ESPN.com. All right, uh, 445, yeah, we're getting up to happy hour on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, Why don't we take the break here, and we'll come back and get you to 5 o'clock. Sports Auto, 1061 ESPN. Miss out on a feel-good Thursday with Bob Black or Jamie's thoughts on South Beach Rob's shirt. Never fear. You can find replays of all our shows and interviews on our website at ESPNRichmond.com or on the iHeartRadio app. Just search 1061 ESPN Richmond. Thanks again to John Keim for stopping by and talking some commander's football i think he was pretty impressed with what he saw mostly offense from the commanders in the two joint practices the last couple of days with the baltimore ravens and he'll be in attendance monday night at fedex for that preseason game that airs on espn Uh, i will tell you uh, hosting remotely today from the home studio i do have baseball on on the home studio monitor Red Sox and Nationals are playing at Nats Park. And I will fill you in on this. I mentioned this yesterday. Uh, long weekend coming for Bob Black, coming for yours truly. Uh, last little catch the breath before the grind, the fun grind, but a grind nonetheless of the college football season comes our way. And um, I peeked my head up at the screen, and they must have been between innings because they showed a shot from outside the center field gate 
at Nationals Park. And part of my R&R, this won't surprise or shock too many of you, will be to take in a Nationals game tomorrow night when the fighting Phils come to town. They'll be in the nation's capital to start a three-game series. Two of those games will be at Nats Park. The Sunday game is the Little League Classic. They're going to be in Williamsport. Uh, Pennsylvania with the Little League World Series going on, and they get to play in that game on Sunday night. There was actually a team from Media, Pennsylvania, which is just outside of Philadelphia, one of my favorite spots, being a member of the media in Media, Pennsylvania. Um, so anyway, so I'll be up there tomorrow night and catch the Phils and the Nats. They are 1-1 today, third inning. Uh, Jeter Downs, the former Yankee, uh, a former Red Sox farmhand, who, of course, is named for the Yankees, Derek Jeter. Remember last year he played for the Red Sox against the Yankees. Red Sox let him go in the offseason. The Nats picked him up, and he just scored the game-tying run against his former team, the Red Sox. In fact, he did it in a good way. He stole, got on with a walk. He stole second. He moved to third on a throwing error on the catcher, and he scored on a ground ball to third. Uh, to tie that game at 1-1. You know he's stoked to be playing there against the Red Sox. All right, 451 on the sports side. we got a few minutes here. Let's get to the phones on a good Thursday afternoon. Bruce, how are you? Hey, good afternoon, Bob. Hey, Bob, just real quick, I'm going to make a, a lofty prediction uh, relative to the association. And my prediction is such. The 76ers will win the in-season tournament. We should be able to win a two-game series. And that will, pro- that will propel us to winning the 2024 chip. Bruce, have you not seen all the negativity around the Sixers right now? Well, yes. With Harden and Harden and more Harden and the GM and the owner and, and just so much, and you have indeed. You have Maxi. You have Nelson. You have Herb. You have other players that are putting in the work. But this Harden guy just wants to keep it going. So I hope Bob that they will come together. They will have a coming to Jesus meeting, and leadership will develop. Whether that be PJ Tucker. Whether that be Charles Maxey, whether that be Joe and B, leadership will develop out of this, and we'll get Harden in his dang old place. I could use another word, but I know you have FPC guidelines. Shouldn't the owner be doing something about all this instead of sitting in the front row of a stadium for a preseason football game for his new toy, the Washington Commanders? Shouldn't Josh Harris be doing something, Bruce? Well, I, I defer back to Matt's comments yesterday. You know, Josh Harris' goal is to buy as many sports franchises as he sees fit. Mm-hmm. And and I will conclude with Matt. You know, his goal is just to check stock, put more stocks on the mantle. So, uh, you know, we they try to trade him. Uh, there is no value there. Uh, it's it's leadership, Bob. It's the leadership amongst the team. What happens in that locker room? And this may be a, a move to be waiting to be made. How the locker room came together in '76ers land in in the summer of 2023 to get us to become the first team to win the end season and combine that with the chip. It's a lofty expectation.
that would be the sweep for the Sixers. We'll see what happens. They need to get their house in order. I'll say that. I wish I had your optimism, Bruce, but I don't quite have that right now. More NBA talk, Bruce. Don't go away. Later on, we'll get more into it. We'll certainly talk more NBA with Bruce. Thank you, Bruce. Got to roll as we get towards the top of the hour. Uh, I knew he would check in today with the schedule out there. So the Sixers open with a back-to-back road games. Um, and then their home opener is Sunday, October 29th against the Portland Trailblazers. They open against the Bucks in Milwaukee, so that's, that's not all that easy. And then, as I said, their first home game, Sunday, October 29th against uh, the, the Trailblazers. So there you go. As, as we start to get you into the NBA season, and the schedule is out on this Thursday, the 17th of august all right uh just about out of time in hour one of the sports huddle this afternoon there you go right on cue robert hits the music and away we go or ai hits the music and away we go towards the top of the hour we'll get you the sbn sports center update at five and then we get back into some baseball talk right after the right after the top of the hour uh wiley ballard from the braves radio net will work join us uh, they're off today so we thought we'd get a little update on the braves as they get ready to move into the last what 50 games or so of the season and as i said yesterday i'm waiting for that magic number countdown on the espn or mlb apps and websites for the atlanta braves even though we're only in mid-august we could start the wild card, uh, the uh, the magic number countdown for the Braves. Uh, ESPN Sports Center update next five o'clock hour of the Thursday Sports Huddle on the other side of that, right here on 106.1 ESPN. Hi, we're comparing insurance agents.